Okay, we will actually sit. All right, sounds good. But uh, good morning, everyone, and Happy New Year. Uh, so glad you could join us. Uh, thanks for adjusting the time as well to 10 a.m. We tried our best to make it clear. And yeah, um, I can't remember the last time New Year's Day fell on a Sunday, but obviously uh, I can't think of a better way to start off the year than to worship together. Thank you, praise team. My heart is refreshed and renewed by the lyrics we sing in the gospel. And you know, what better way, again, to, than to open God's Word? So if you're new or visiting, we want to welcome you. I do see some new faces and familiar faces. So whether you're coming back after a long time or just coming today, I do believe, obviously, you're here uh, because God has brought you here for a reason. So so thankful you could join us. Uh, my name is Sam. If it's your first time, I'm part of the pastoral staff, and we want to welcome you to our church. A quick uh, announcement for those who have signed up for formation groups or even community groups. I'm sure it's been a little bit silent with the end of the year and the new year coming, but this week, uh, do anticipate a message and an email regarding next steps for that. All of our, our community life and kicking off formation groups, all is going to happen within mid-January and on, and so please do anticipate an email. We have not forgotten, and so that is something that's going to be coming up, and then next week, again, we'll be back to our normal uh, Sunday worship at Buena Park. All right, well, as cliche as it may sound, uh, we know that the new year brings an annual spirit of like reflection and resolution. I don't know where you stand in terms of New Year's resolutions or debriefing the past year, but you know, this is the time of year where reflection is kind of, you look back at 2022 in the past year and you're like, how did this year go? Right? And sometimes your phone does it for you. Uh, there was a period where Spotify is like, this is your 2022 and listening. Uh, you can look at your screen time and say, where did you spend your time? You know, sometimes on Instagram, they'll do like post your 10 pictures. So everyone kind of understands this is a season of reflection, but also a season of resolution because for whatever reason, our culture seems to think something magical happens between yesterday and today, right? <laughs> we become more motivated. We have more desire to want to change things about ourselves, to resolve to make different changes, and I'm not sure if you can relate, but for me, more than any other year, it really didn't feel like New Year's Eve. <laughs> like I was sitting there and eating ramen with my wife, and I was like, it really doesn't feel like New Year's Eve this year. I, still, I, I was surprised it was 2023. I thought it's still 2021, to be honest. Like, so COVID has messed up my time clock. I think it's forever 2021, and yet here we are, day one of 2023, which is pretty crazy to think about. It just really, really flew by. And so this past week, in light of preparing for the message, I did have small pockets to pause and reflect. And I thought through some of the natural questions maybe some of you guys think through when you're reflecting on the past, past year, which is, man, how was my physical health? For me, not good. <laughs> health, fitness, did I eat well? Did I have a good diet? Uh, for me personally, how did I do as a father and all the roles that you kind of fulfill? So how did I do as a father, as a husband, as a friend, as a pastor? Or like what significant events happened? So like what were some highs of the year? Uh, what were some lows? And I'm naturally more of a big picture thinker, so these all kind of like led up to the broader, simple question that I reflected on, which is, huh, what did I actually just live for this past year? Like, if I could just sum it up, what did I live for in 2022? And if I could turn it back to you, mental question, do you feel like you lived a successful 2022? Why or why not, right? What gauge and barometer do you have, whether you answered yes or no? Like, do you feel like, man, 2022, I lived it well. I lived it in the way that I wanted to. I lived for what I wanted to. Or maybe you're sitting here like maybe many of us are, and you're thinking, I have no idea what I live for. I'm very purposeless right now. I feel like I'm, life is living me, right? I'm not living life. And so today is a great opportunity to kind of calibrate and the reason I ask is the Bible is unapologetically clear that the primary and potentially only question that ultimately matters if you call yourself a Christian is this. Did I strive with all that I am to love and follow Jesus? That's it. Like, 
does how I'm living my life or how I live my life, could it be described as I did all that I can to love Jesus and follow him? That's it. Sometimes we overcomplicate things. And so next week, we're going to be starting a new series, actually, about reading Scripture, and we've been anticipating that for a while. But today is kind of a one-shot message, and I thought and prayed about what I feel like would be appropriate to share from God's Word. I felt conviction to go back to the foundation of what does it even mean to follow Jesus? Like, what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? Because like we're saying today, man, our hearts are so prone to wander. So maybe 2022, January 1st, you made a resolution. This is the year. We're going to love Jesus. And now you're like, you've completely derailed. And you're like, oh my goodness, yeah, I am a Christian. But nothing about how I feel and how I'm living feels that way. And it's understandable. Life gets busy. There's everyday worries of, of family, of career, of relationships, of finances. Those dominate our thoughts and without knowing it, our relationship with Jesus, it takes a major backseat. And so praise God for his grace of being able to hear from his word and calibrate our hearts. And so while it's understandable, I feel obligated as a preacher of God's word to say, even though it's understandable that your relationship may have taken a backseat, that doesn't mean that it's okay. And the reality is maybe some of us, we need to wake up, spiritually speaking, And I want to challenge us to soberly assess where are you at in light of your relationship with Jesus. And if you're not a Christian or if you're seeking, I want to make it clear what Jesus says it means to follow him so you're not mistaken in understanding that. So a little bit of a longer intro to say if you have your Bibles or programs, let's look at our text for today in Luke chapter 9. Uh, It should be on your programs. Uh, We're going to look at one verse in verse 23, and then we'll skip through a section in verse 47 through 52. And as you turn there, if we could all rise together at our church, we like to stand in in light of hearing God's word because we believe that God, he moves and speaks and he's living through the word. So let's read from Luke chapter 9, verse 23, and then we'll skip to verse 57. It's the reading of God's word. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Verse 57, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's the reading of God's word. Let me pray for us. Father, as we kick in this new year and we open your word, we pray, Lord, that the first thing that enters our hearts and our minds would be a recalibration of the importance of understanding that following you is the greatest joy, treasure, and pursuit that we should be seeking, not only this past year, but this upcoming year. Father, I pray for those who maybe are not Christians, that your word would speak powerfully, and it would be made clear the invitation that is there through the good news of the gospel, and more than anything else, help us as a church and a congregation to really step into uh, what it means to be a disciple of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So one of the challenges of growing up in a fairly Christian context like ours, right, is the very definition of what it means to be Christian, it becomes hazy and watered down, almost not needed because almost everybody's Christian, right? This is kind of the Orange County bubble. The more I think about it, the more I realize how challenging it is to pastor in this kind of Christianized context. Because for example, in like the Muslim-dominated Middle East, to be a Christian means legitimate cost, right? 
There's legitimate persecution and consequence. You are going to be disowned by your family. There's no social or practical hazy benefit to being a Christian. So if you become a follower of Jesus, it's because you genuinely want to follow Jesus. There's no other reason. But here it's a little murky, right? Maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe all your friends are Christian. Maybe you just like having a community, and so you'll do the Christian thing just so you can have community. And so that's kind of the haziness of Christianity in what I would call like the Orange County, Southern California bubble where Christianity is nice a supplement. It's a nice addition to the life you have going. And whether it's because that's what you grew up with or because it just gives you something to do, it's important to remember this is very akin to how Jesus did most of his ministry. Here's what I mean. Jesus, when you read the Gospels, he was always accompanied by great crowds. People always loved hanging around Jesus. Okay? He was a very popular guy. And the reason is, he was a, he, on Instagram, everyone would be posting about him because he was doing miracles. He was teaching crazy things. He was ripping bread and feeding people. So there's a lot of cool, spectacular things to see about Jesus. So he was fun to hang around. And not only that, one thing's crystal clear, though. Even though large crowds hung around them, Jesus had zero interest in entertaining large crowds. He would periodically look at the crowd and say, I'm not here to gain a large following. I'm here to make disciples. He would discourage people from following it if they didn't know what they were getting themselves into. In other words, a disciple is not someone who just casually hangs around Jesus. And that's kind of a, a one way I would say to think about throughout this message. Is, are you a casual Christian? And I'm going to flesh out what that looks like. But a disciple is not casual. Instead, they're committed to learning and following the teacher or master. That's what it means to be a disciple. And in our text today, we'll see Jesus, he's not unclear. He's not afraid to lay out very clearly what he means by being a genuine follower. And even though I know most of us here probably call ourselves Christian or we say we are disciples of Christ, uh, looking at my own life, even as a pastor, I think our commitment to Jesus and understanding of what it means to follow him, it gets watered down if we're not reminded periodically. And so the way we're going to look at it from our text is we'll look at discipleship in three ways. First, we'll look at the call of discipleship. Secondly, we'll look at barriers to discipleship. And then thirdly, we'll talk a little bit about the practice of discipleship. So first, the call of discipleship. So again, every single year without fail, the most common sermon illustration is always that gym membership skyrocket in January because it always happens. The top three resolutions are always people want to get back in shape. And usually most of the time by February, things are back to normal. Okay, that's just how things are every single year. But a few years ago, I jumped on that train. So there's a, the largest UFC gym in Southern California is by my house in La Mirada. So I was really motivated. So I was like, I don't want to just get a gym membership. I want to like really take classes and get fit. So I signed up for a UFC gym. And I specifically did it because I wanted to not just work out. I wanted to be taught like skills and things like that. So I signed up for this kickboxing class to try it out. And when I got there, the coach basically told me, hey, you can't really take this class because you need to take this introductory class first. Like you need to learn the fundamentals and the foundation of what kickboxing really is. Because if you don't have the foundation, you're not going to understand or be able to practice anything else that we're going to be teaching. You kind of need a framework. You need a foundation. And I share that because Jesus does something very similar in his call to discipleship. He lays the foundation to everything that's going to follow if you are to follow him faithfully in verse 23. He said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, there's two parts of this precondition. First must deny themselves and then take up their cross daily 
and then you can follow me. Okay? In other words, he says, you want to follow me? You have to understand that the foundation and starting point is this, self-denial and the taking up of your cross. This is the heart of Christian discipleship that is not talked about nearly enough in today's day and age. John Calvin is a very famous theologian. He went as far as to say the entire summary of the Christian life is this, self-denial. Self-denial. Now, for many of us, I'm sure this could be a familiar idea, but let me kind of refresh what this call entails. The word deny is a very strong word. It's the idea of renouncing or, or disowning. So to deny yourself, it's not talking about like denying yourself some ice cream or a piece of chocolate, right? Because you're having self-control. That's not the, the tone of deny here. Jesus is saying to follow him means you totally renounce yourself. You no longer own your life. You don't live for yourself anymore. Your interests no longer matter. It means to give up control of your life and give the reins to Jesus and to deliberately choose now to follow him and his ways rather than your own. It's very radical in nature, and it's very clear as well. Not only that, the meaning of take up your cross is nothing short of dying. Now, it's worth mentioning, uh, it is a very morbid symbol, right? If you think about the... the the central symbol of Christianity is an a object of torture and death, right? That's literally what it is, the cross. Now, obviously, the symbol has become accessorized over the years, and it's kind of lost the weight of its true contextual meaning. So some people, what they'll say is like, you know, uh, to take up the cross means like uh, to carry a burden or to like go through a hardship in life. That's kind of what I mean by I'm taking up my cross. That's not what the cross is. The cross is not a burden. The cross is dying is literally the symbol of a shameful, painful death. Right? History says Roman citizens would not even be allowed to be crucified because it was just that gruesome and that terrible. And the only people who would carry a cross are the people who are carrying it so that they're going to be hung on it. That's it. Nobody else carried a cross. So Jesus is saying, hey, the starting point and posture of following me is utter renunciation of the self, denying, and taking up your cross to die to yourself daily, every single day. Then and only then can you begin to follow me. And when you begin to grasp this reality, the New Testament starts to open up and make a lot of sense. For example, the Apostle Paul clearly got this because if you look at some of the texts in the Apostle Paul's letters, Galatians 2.20, this is what he says. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. I take up my cross, basically. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. I love this. I'm trying to make this kind of like one of my life verses. He says, I protest my brother by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. When Ezra, my son, grows up and he says, Father, what is Christianity? I want to tell him, not just with my words, but my life, I die every day. <laughs> every morning I wake up, I die to myself. That's Christianity. That's the Apostle Paul. Now, let me make it clear. What I am describing to you is not a description of a particularly serious disciple or like a godly, holier-than-thou Christian. Jesus is talking to all Christians because to be a Christian is to be a disciple, and to be a disciple is to deny yourself and take up your cross daily. So this is not just those super-Christians. This is all Christians. And Jesus is saying, if you want anything to do with me, you need to follow me in the way that I define it, which is that, 
Now, what might that call look like today? It means in a broad sense, obviously, a friendly reminder that as a Christian, your life is no longer your own. Just let that sink in. You no longer live to satisfy your desires or your agenda, but you now seek to serve Christ and further his cause. And in a specific sense, it means every morning, because you know, I'm really into morning routines these days because I have such small pockets of time when I'm busy with the kids or whatnot. So, you know, the mornings are very precious to me. It kind of is my, uh, if I can put a bookend to start my day. Like what happens in the morning is going to dictate everything that I feel and everything that I do in the day. And it practically it could mean every morning that you wake up, you tell yourself, today I'm going to choose to deny myself, to take up my cross, and follow Christ in the way that I think, in the way that I work, in the way that I love, and in the way that I relate to people. So that's the foundation. should not be super new, but hopefully it's a good reminder. Now there's more to be said, but let's move to the second point. Because again, I'm sure this is not new to a lot of people who have been in the church. What are the barriers to discipleship? So again, at most, this is probably a sobering reminder. And if I were to say, okay, now with that being said, and that, that under definition, who here is a disciple? Who wants to follow Jesus? I'm willing to bet still most people would raise their hand and say, yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe that. In our text today, there's three individuals who would do the same thing. They would hear that and they would say, yeah, I still want to follow Jesus. I have genuine desires and intentions to follow. But... When they say, Jesus, I want to follow you, instead of Jesus embracing them, he actually pauses and he, he calls them out and he says, I don't think you actually know what you're saying when you're saying you want to follow me. Because you know how scary that would be? Like imagine Jesus was in you right now and he said, raise your hand if you want to follow me. And you rose your hand and he said, you there, I don't think you actually know what it means to follow me. Like you're raising your hand, but I see your heart and you're, you're totally misunderstanding what it means to follow me. That's what happens to each of these three individuals. They are exposed and if you're like me, you will also be exposed, because I was very exposed as I, as I read this text. To categorize them, the first barrier to discipleship is this. It is a love for comfort. A love for comfort. Look at verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now what's going on here? That sounds like such a genuine profession, doesn't it? Like Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. It reminds me of back in the good old days in youth group. We used to sing this song by Hillsong called To the Ends of the Earth. And that was like the last retreat song where like when you're fired up, the lights are all dim. Like that's the one the praise team would be like, ooh, let's, let's pull it out, right? And it'd be like, I will go to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth for you. And then you would just sing it and everybody's crying. Everybody's emotional. And I think what Jesus would see is when he looks at that, it's like, oh, that's so genuinely emotional. But you have have no idea. You're seventh graders. You don't even know what the ends of the earth is. Like the worst struggle you've gone through is maybe like that girl or guy you like doesn't like you back. And so what we see about Jesus is this. He's not about emotional professions. He's not. He knows the heart beneath the profession instead of saying to the individual, wonderful, come follow me. He says something interesting. He says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Like, what the heck, right? Jesus, I'll follow you. Foxes have holes, birds have nests. What's going on here? Here's basically what Jesus is saying. Even animals have homes. But you sure you want to follow me? I don't have a home. We learned last week, starting from his birth, his head rested in a manger that belongs for animal food. And starting from then to the moment he got on the cross, Jesus was essentially homeless. And he's saying, you sure you want to follow a homeless man? 
And the reason he brings this up is because he is challenging the individual's love for comfort, saying, to follow me very well will entail a life of potential discomfort and inconvenience. And what Jesus is saying in the heart of not only this man, but maybe some of us today who this is our barrier, he's saying your view on discipleship, it's idealistic. It, it, it submits to your convenience, but you're not really considering what it means to follow me. J.C. Ryle says this about Jesus. Jesus wasn't a dishonest recruiter. He wants us to know up front that he is enlisting us in warfare against the powers of darkness, and that warfare is often difficult. If we're looking for a program where our personal comfort is paramount, we should look elsewhere. Following Jesus must be more important than our personal comfort. Now, why is Jesus making a big deal about this, right? Like somebody just said, I'll follow you anywhere. If I was a teacher and somebody said that, I was like, I'll take you. <laughs> like, just come on. I'll take anyone who wants to come. But Jesus basically says, are you sure? And the reason goes back to, and will always go back to the foundational call of discipleship, which I mentioned. Self-denial, taking up your cross. That's step one. If you can't get that foundation, nothing else about following Christ will ever make sense to you. Because the call of Jesus is not about what is in it for you and preserving your comfort. It is about denying yourself and giving it up. That's the heart of what it means to be a disciple. Now let's consider our own discipleship. Are there areas or things in your life that you consider off limits to Christ? Because he sees it all. Maybe it's your job security or your home or a certain standard of living. Like what if following Jesus for you entails embracing poverty? Or have to even like homelessness? Or at the very least, increased discomfort and inconvenience? Like, does that ever cross your mind? That, that never crosses our mind, does it? As middle-class Christians, it never crosses our mind that to follow Christ might mean that the standard of living that we have would disappear. It really, like, rarely crosses our mind. We always think it's going to be in conjunction with how we think our life should go. A practical way this might play out, obviously because no one's going to be homeless, I don't think, anytime soon, it could be something as simple as being involved in church community. Whether it's serving the church or being plugged into community groups or, fellowship or, or formation groups that are coming up or reaching out to struggling brothers and sisters in Christ, those things at, at their bare bones are all uncomfortable and inconvenient. And when you feel the inconvenience and discomfort creep into your life as you strive to follow Jesus, here's my encouragement to you today. Don't think it's weird. Or don't run away from it. Lean into that inconvenience because you're probably trying to follow Christ. When on a Wednesday or Thursday night, all you want is me time. I want to live for myself. I want to catch up on that show. I want to just chill. But I have this weird inkling that, man, that person, maybe I should reach out to them. Oh, but it'd be so uncomfortable. I I really don't want to go. That's probably discipleship knocking at your door. It's not weird. On the flip side, it's weird for you to avoid all discomfort and inconvenience in your pursuit of Christ. If you experience little to no discomfort, inconvenience, and discipleship, something's probably off. That's the first barrier. Second barrier is a lack of urgency or a lack of priority. Look at verse 59. To the second individual, to another, he says, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. So this person, Jesus says, follow me, and they seem down to do it, but they say, hey, but first let me take care of something. Let me bury my father. Now this one needs a little explanation because why would Jesus not let him bury his father? Like that's just messed up, right? But 
in context, the expression burying your father, it didn't mean that his dad literally had died that day and he needs to go bury him. It basically carried the idea that, hey, let me first live with my father until he passes away. And then after that, when I get my inheritance and that's all taken care of, then I will follow you. So more accurate reading would be something like this. Lord, I'll follow you once my father passes away. Now, whether that's because he had selfish motives because he wanted to get his share of inheritance, or whether it was genuine that he just wanted to fulfill his familial obligation, the text doesn't tell us. But regardless of that, Jesus responds in a very interesting way. He says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. This is a very... It was hard for me to wrap my head around this. It kind of seems very harsh. But what Jesus is referring to by the dead, obviously he's not talking about physically dead people, right? Physically dead people cannot bury dead people. He's talking about spiritually dead people. Basically, here's what he's saying. He's saying, let those who are not of Christ, basically people who don't know me, who are spiritually dead, let them handle the secular matters, which still are important in a worldly sense. But as for you in your following of me, You now have a greater urgency and a greater priority in light of God's kingdom, which is the proclamation of the gospel. Pretty crazy if you think about what Jesus is saying. Now, I recognize it might be a bit obscure, so let's try to make it a little more digestible, right? The heart of what Jesus is getting at here is this. Your priorities need to categorically shift when you become a follower of Jesus because now there is an ultimate spiritual reality that comes into play. For example, parents, which many of us are. As disciples of Jesus, what I think Jesus would say is more than just caring for the physical, the academic, and the social needs of your children, as a follower of Christ, the greater priority and urgency should be raise them in the Lord and proclaim the gospel to them. And even though I'm a pastor, I felt so challenged because if I did an audit of my parenting this past year, I don't think my priorities would reflect that. I think I care a lot about my, my son's health and his development and whether or not he's going to be good at soccer and baseball. But spiritual things, I don't really think I have a high priority there. Same thing could apply to married couples. If you call yourself Christian, is there a priority in your marriage to consider and prayerfully live to seek God's kingdom above all else? Or something as simple as prioritizing Sunday worship as a believer. Like, how easily does the corporate gathering of God's church lose its spot in urgency to other seemingly more urgent things in your life? Right? We come from our parents' generation where it was almost legalistic. You don't miss Sunday for anything. But I almost feel like we've swung completely the other way where Sunday, missing the corporate gathering of the church and the worship of God's people, it's very, very low priority. And no one's going to challenge you on it. Nobody really knows. You can always make something up. But the Lord who says, you say you want to follow me, and yet I see it all. So That's the second barrier, lack of urgency and priority. The third barrier is half-heartedness. Half-heartedness. So I have a confession. I am uh, in love with this show called Singles Inferno. It is my guilty pleasure. As much as I hate to admit it, shows like The Bachelor and Singles Inferno, like they are my guilty pleasure. Uh, I'll watch it and I'll hate on it, but I'll be the first to tell Angela, like, oh my gosh, there's new episodes. Don't you want to watch it? <laughs> yeah. You, are you sure you don't? I'll turn it on for you, right? And I'll just kind of stand there. And I know all the names. I know all the drama. I don't know what it is, right? I just make the excuses for sermon illustrations. But something about it is just very captivating to me. Now, the entertaining yet sad thing about shows like this is you kind of have a full vantage point, Right? Like, these individuals have limited understanding of just their own experiences. But you're kind of like 
overseeing it all. And so you get to see all these interactions that people are having, and you kind of see how shady people can be, right? Like recently we were watching it, and the one thing that happens in every time there's this show is there will be a guy or girl that leads somebody on just to keep them in the loop and keep them as an option in case things don't work out. Snakes, right? So shady. Like you clearly know that you do not like this person, but they'll pretend to. Because they like the feeling of like, I have an option though. Like if this person rejects me, I could go to paradise with this person. So sneaky. And it pains you as the, as the viewer because it's so blatantly obvious. You're just stringing this person along. Your heart is not fully into them. Well, to put it simply, that's what we do with Jesus. Jesus sees right through half-heartedness and half-hearted devotion and hearts that are divided with one foot in the world and one foot in his kingdom Verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Now, that verse alone, how does half-heartedness show up there, right? It doesn't seem like an unreasonable request to want to go back and say bye to those at home. But why in verse 62 does he say, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God? Now, obviously, that imagery is not a common one. Nobody plows here, but if you're searching even a little bit, it's very basic farm, agrarian understanding, if you want to plow dirt in a straight line, you have to only look and move forward. It demands 100% focus to see where you are going. One look back, you'll get crooked, you'll get messed up, and you will no longer be able to fulfill the task at hand. And the idea here, when it says you are no longer fit for the kingdom, it carries the idea that you are no longer useful for the kingdom of God. It carries the idea of being focused and wholehearted to the task at hand. In other words, Jesus is not just an option or an addition to your life, but he is the center and everything else revolves around him and his kingdom purposes. Things like career, family, time, money, relationship, all of it is devoted to serving the Lord. And here's why. Here's why half-hearted discipleship doesn't really work in the kingdom. If you are always second-guessing whether or not it is worth it to follow Christ, you won't really make Christ look that good. Right? I recall friends of mine when we were still in the dating age, they would say, man, I really like this girl. And then the other, next day they'll be like, I don't know if I like her anymore. And they'll be like, oh, but I, should I pursue her? Oh, but I kind of feel like I'm settling. And they would be wishy-wishy-washy, wishy-washy. And then all our friends would say, you know, in the end of the day, no matter what ends up happening, she must not be that great. Because <laughs> you keep going back and forth, back and forth. And we need to realize to be a disciple means you care about how you represent Christ. You care about how people think of Christ through your life. And so for you to say, one week I'm all about Jesus, and one week I could care less about him, is saying you're, you're not fit. You keep looking back and forth. Now what does this look like practically? And this has been just searing my soul. One simple way is this. Ask this. Do you care more to ask God how he can work in your life or how he can work through your life? Let me say this again. Do you care more to ask God how he can work in your life, in other words, for you, God is for me, doing things for me, or work through your life that he's using you to do things for others? In other words, is your ultimate desire as a disciple to use God for your ends or to be used by God for his ends? So that's the third barrier, a half-hearted devotion. Now, do you see any of these barriers at play in your discipleship to Christ? Like maybe it's been such a long time since you paused to consider reality that Christianity is really not just about God sending Jesus and forgiving you so you can go to heaven. 
Right? That's what the Apostle Paul will call milk. He's saying, some of you guys have been Christian for 15 years and you're still drinking milk. Like, when are you going to grow up and realize there's more to Christianity than just Jesus and you? He is advancing his kingdom. There is legitimate gospel needs around you. There are people who are walking themselves to destruction, and you are supposed to be salt, and you're supposed to be light, but you're just sipping on milk, as the Apostle Paul would say, because Jesus calls us to be on mission, to fight against the cultural current of self-indulgence, to live against the greater reality of God's kingdom. And it's very sobering to realize, I don't know if you caught it, all three of these individuals wanted to follow Jesus. It's not like they were non-Christians or blatant pagans, right? They wanted to follow Jesus. They were earnest in their profession. But Jesus sees our hearts. And he knows our idols. It's so easy to hide in this Christian bubble. I bet you most of you guys... You could be light years away from intimacy with the Lord, but everyone will think you are just, you're doing okay. You're following Christ, you're doing your thing. But what I want to show you today is to follow Christ means Christ is the one that matters. Not what people think, not what your community group thinks, not what your friends think, not even what your spouse thinks, but what God thinks. And he sees through it all. John McComer, it's a longer quote, but I think it's just so... Um, It's so rebuking to the culture we have today. Here's what he says. The issue here is not apprenticeship or discipleship versus atheism. So what he's talking about here is not a believer and non-believer. It's apprenticeship versus a vague, non-committal, consumeristic faith that wants the benefit of Jesus without the cost. Typo. We want the best of both worlds. We want to be generous and we want to be rich. We want character, but we don't want the suffering and the perseverance that it takes to produce that character. We want humility, but we don't want any form of humiliation. We want patience, but we don't actually want to wait. We want to be a person who's full of kindness, but we don't want anyone in our life who annoys us. We want the life of Jesus, but we don't want to take up the cross of Jesus. Isn't that a perfect description of like Orange County Christianity? I love what Jesus offers. I just don't want the journey to get there. Professing Christ is easy, friends, especially in our context. It costs you nothing. Practicing the way of Christ, that's the true test of discipleship, which leads to the third and final part to practice. Now, thankfully, uh, we went through an eight-week series, literally, on the practicing the way of Jesus, so Listen to it, please. (laughs) I want to double down on those practices. Hopefully, in light of today's message, now you have a fresh lens and foundation on which to look at them, that they're not just nice suggestions, but these are the very practices that are going to help you do the denying of yourself and taking up your cross as you read the word, pray, fast, practice hospitality, simplicity, etc. But also, recognizing this message, I'm taking an extreme in order to combat an extreme that I think has been happening in the recent past. That there has been such an unchallenged message both inside and outside the church in our generation that you should only do the things that feel natural to you or that you want to do. This has become such an implicit message that we believe that is leaked into our Christianity that you should only do it if you want to do it. Hey, you should read your Bible. Oh, I don't feel like doing it. Oh, you know what? That's okay. You should only do it if you want to do it. Now, there's some truth to that, right? And I think the reason is because we're responding to our more duty-oriented, legalistic culture that many of us grew up with, where our hearts weren't in it at all. But there I say the pendulum has swung way too far now that many Christians do little to nothing if they don't feel like it. 
and nobody challenges you. Man, I committed to going and joining community and being a presence in the church, but I really don't feel like it, so I'm not going to go. I woke up tired today morning. It would require me to be uncomfortable and inconvenience my tiredness, so I'm not going to go. I actually would rather do what I want to do rather than further the kingdom of God, so I'm not going to do it. It's the air we breathe. As we saw today, self-denial and death, friends, it's not easy. It's never going to feel natural to put yourself to death. It requires a daily intentionality and a purpose. It requires us to make decisions that may not be our preference and may feel like a great cost at times. Unless we misunderstand, there is a cost to discipleship. Jesus never says there isn't, nor does he pretend like there isn't. So the million-dollar question is, why pay the cost? If you're a non-Christian, you're probably sitting here like, why would anybody want to do that? Why would anyone want to follow Christ? And if you're a Christian sitting here today, maybe you're thinking, yeah, why do I follow Christ? Because the standard is clear. Unless you can prove otherwise from God's word that anything I said was heretical, I think it's clear as day what Jesus says, the definition of a disciple is. So why pay that cost? Why would I subject myself to Jesus when he seems so demanding? Right? Jesus is basically saying, serve me, love me, live for me, sacrifice your agenda for me. Well, that's kind of the, the paradox, right? Because if it's not for Christ, who are you doing it for? The line stays the same. It's still serve me, love me, live for me, except now you are God. Your life revolves now not around Christ, but around yourself. And if I can challenge you, you are not a good savior. There's not a good track record of people who've tried living for themselves that end up joyful and fulfilled. And Jesus knows that. Why? He created us. He knows that the path when you live for yourself is one that will lead down darkness and selfishness and self-absorption and destruction. Because as Isaiah says, we were created to have a greater purpose in our lives, which is this. We are created for God's glory. And Jesus doesn't just give us this call without a reason. In verse 24 to 25, I intentionally didn't say it. He says, And I said to all, If anyone come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Jesus, as he often does, he is speaking out of a perceived yet seemingly guaranteed reality that he is aware of. It reminds me of the Matrix, right? Neo lives his whole life in the Matrix thinking that's reality. And this guy named Morpheus starts coming and he says, oh, actually, that's not reality. This is reality. And he, he doesn't try to convince Neo. He just says, I just know. That's just reality. And that's so much of how Jesus teaches. He presumes things that we don't know how he knows, but he says it as statements of reality. And what he says is this. Notice he doesn't say, whoever follows me or saves his life may lose it. Jesus is saying, from a position of knowing true reality, this is going to happen. This will happen. And so the reason he says, I invite you to follow me, is not because I want you to suffer or because I want you to have a hard life, but because he knows that's the only path to truly live. And herein we find the, the mystery of Christianity. That if you want to really live, you have to die. That is the model of the gospel, and that is the template for Christian living. And he's saying to gain the world at the expense of your soul, it's a bad investment, 
and it is a losing proposition. So therefore he says, follow me. No conditions, not follow me if, when, or but. It's not a negotiation. Jesus doesn't say, what do you think about this? He lays out his terms very clearly. But here's what he says, and this has been very comforting for me personally. He promises that though there is a cross on the path of discipleship, there is a crown awaiting at the end. And so as we close 2023, it is a fresh start in a sense. It is a new year, and as I invite the praise team up, if I can just have us reflect and challenge and exhort us as we enter this new year. If you're a Christian, maybe the call is to dust off your spiritual cobwebs and wake up. Man, am I really following Jesus? Like, I call myself a Christian, but like, if Jesus sees my heart, what are the barriers and obstacles that have clouded what it means to follow Christ? And if you're not a Christian or if you're exploring, the promise of the gospel and the beauty of it is he doesn't just talk a big game. In fact, the very heart and context of Christianity is that in this text, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. He lived out the very message that he's calling us to live to. The call to self-denial and taking up our cross is not arbitrary, but it is plastered front and centered on the cross of Christ. And that is what we cling to as our hope. And so that being said, if we can just take a moment, reflect, and look forward to 2023, and maybe even if it's a little bit of course correction, I think the word of God uh, has done its job. So let's take a moment, close the rest in prayer, and then we'll close with song.